It's time to explore and find the answers you've been searching for with the new 2023 Data Dive data sets. The MGMA Provider Compensation and Production data set is one of the most comprehensive data sets in the industry, providing hospital and physician-owned practice data and compensation benchmarks for medical directorship, on-call, academic, and starting salaries. The 2023 data set represents nearly 190,000 providers from 6,800 groups spanning 250 specialties. With this valuable data, you can attract and retain the highest quality providers, drive more revenue through productivity, and keep costs contained. Learn more by visiting mgma.com slash data dive. Healthcare is complicated, but you don't have to navigate the complexities alone. Care Allies collaborates with physician organizations to solve some of the toughest challenges on the path to value-based care. As your organization works to effectively manage your more vulnerable patient populations, enhance outcomes, and improve data analytics, Care Allies brings the people, technology, and processes to support you so you can focus on practicing medicine. Visit careallies.com to see how they can help to radically simplify value-based care. Well, hi, everyone. I'm Daniel Williams, Senior Editor of MGMA and host of the MGMA Podcast Network. Today, we've got a topic that's important to practice success, the first phone call from a patient. A recent white paper looks at the power of the first phone call. This study found that the percentage of callers who report that they are not likely to return to the facility based on their first call has increased from 35% to 38% since 2016. Here to discuss this topic is the paper's author, Chris Baird, president and CEO of Baird Group. Chris, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, as always, Dan, it is a privilege and an honor to uh, participate in anything MGMA. Oh, that's wonderful. And for our listeners, you may recognize Chris from speaking engagements or previous podcasts. Uh, She's appeared numerous times over the years. So before we get too deep into this particular topic, Chris, tell us about Baird Group, um, maybe you know, what inspired you to found it in the first place and, and what you really focus on these days? Yeah, thank you. Um, well, so we were founded back in the, in the 90s. That's dating me, I know. But it was really, um, it was really born out of my graduate thesis work. I did patient perceptions of qualities in clinical settings. Um, and, you know, when we talk quality in healthcare, it's always we're thinking about the clinical outcome. 
And what the consumer says is, no, it's my experience. So that really, that that paper, and actually I got to present it at MGMA in 93. So that's really wow. dating me. myself. <laughs> you know, it was like I had just finished my my master's. Um, I, I tested the waters, MGMA bit, bit on it, and I got to present out in Seattle. Um, and so that really set my course for doing a lot of work in patient experience. And after I got going in patient experience, I just thought, gosh, I can go out there and teach people how to deliver a great patient experience. And boy, was I surprised. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not going to work unless you have the culture. <laughs> so when I describe my company, I say, think of us as a magnifying glass, a mirror and a map. All right. Because that's what we do. The magnifying glass is how we do the research to deep dive into what is that consumer experience. We're not a survey company. You've got plenty of surveys out there. But what we drill down into is the big why. So why are they scoring you the way that they are? What can we glean from doing qualitative research? So we drill down with mystery shopping and culture assessments, right? That's the magnifying glass. The mirror is we give the report out, the the kind truth about this is what it looks like right now today, um, and then help you co-create a roadmap to get you from where you are today to where you need to be. So in, in, in that's kind of quick flyover, but it's a lot of training and development of leaders, mystery shopping to keep a finger on the pulse of that consumer experience. Now, anytime I talk to you, that term mystery shopping comes up. So explain to our listeners what that means. What is mystery shopping? Yeah, mystery shopping has been used for decades in other industries. I mean, it's a standard in any hospitality, whether it's restaurants or hotels, um, banking, retail. They send in people to act as consumers and give feedback of their experience. And so the thing about it is that I love is that it really, it really gets down deep we collect facts and feelings, right? So in a survey, at the end of the day, you're going to know how many people graded you a certain way to a certain question, right? You're not necessarily going to know the why. So I've been on a mission to find out the why, and that's what we really drill down into. So when somebody grades you low, do you know why? Was it, it was something that the staff did? Was it the appearance of the building? Was it, you know, something somebody said? Was it something they overheard? You know, um, so we've been doing mystery shopping multiple types. Uh, We do phone calls, we do patient visits, we do um, walkthroughs, you know, and, and we do some actually some inpatient ethnography. So we do a lot of different kinds. But what we focused on in this research paper was drawing from a, almost 14,000 calls to medical practices. Okay. Wow. Okay. So great segue then. You mentioned the new research paper. Again, for everybody, it's the power of the first call. Uh, Chris shared a copy of that with me uh, prior to this call and in the episode show notes, we will be sure and provide a link so you can get your hands on it as well. But while we've got the expert and the author here with us, um, 
we'll dig into this topic. So tell us about this research. Um, I know that you have uh, done research on the first call previously, because I talked to you about it maybe four or five years ago. Right. So what got you interested in this topic in the first place? Tell us about the origin of that, which got you so interested that you would devote, right. you know, years to studying yeah. the power of the first call. Yeah, that's that's a really good question. Um, I I also, in addition to my nursing career, I also had a career in marketing and business development in healthcare, mm-hmm. and it used to drive me crazy that I would launch really good marketing campaigns that were really well thought out, well researched. We'd launch them, I and we w- wouldn't get the results. And so, one of the things that we learned was to start to really drill down into what happens when the phone rings, yeah. right? What happens when the phone rings? Okay, you, you work so hard, you pay so much money in, let's say, advertising, marketing, you know, to get that phone to ring. What happens when it does? Are people really ready? And are they delivering on the brand promise every encounter, every single time? So that to me is absolutely fascinating. And mm-hmm. it's not designed, mystery shopping is not designed as, I gotcha. You know, mm-hmm. it's not about that. It's about looking at little micro moments, micro messages that happen um, that can shift a person's um, thinking about, am I interested in becoming a patient here or does this not interest me at all? And there's so many small nuances that come into play that, you know, I've made it my calling to really study that because, you know, sometimes, um, you know, you you just don't really have an idea of what happens on your own phones. Hmm. So let's define the first call then. You were talking earlier that uh, you spoke to the MGMA audience all the way back in the 90s. Um, I'm assuming in 92, 93, a first call is an actual, you know, Heart, a handset, you know, phone, it's an yeah. actual phone. <laughs> Has that definition expanded at all? I mean, in 2023, it, are you calling the power of the first call literally phone calls only, or is it communication um, in the various mm-hmm. forms that, that occur? Excellent question, because there's a lot of discussion today about the digital front door, right? Mm-hmm. However, this study is still about phone calls. Okay. And we are also studying on um, at what point does a consumer make the decision to A, try to schedule online or B, pick up the phone, right? Mm -hmm. So we're still looking at all of that. But today, when a consumer does make the decision to pick up that phone, if they're asking how, how long would it be for me to get an appointment, let's say, they're, they're not your patient yet. Mm-hmm. So, you know, all the surveys of your patient satisfaction are not going to show you the ones that get away, right? So, so let's say you want to build your medical practice. You, you want new patients, mm-hmm. right? What happens in that first encounter that's either going to bring them into the door where they become a patient or send them running to your competition, right? 
And so we're still talking about the phone call, although we do do research on the whole web experience as well. So if they're doing a search for, let's say, a primary care doctor, what are the steps that they take? Where are those decision points and what what things make or break that impression? So we were just having a discussion here at Baird Group um, just this afternoon where we were talking about how many people, how many medical practices will put on their website, you can schedule online. Hmm. But let's say Dr. Williams is a really popular doctor and there's a promise that I can schedule online and I get so far and I get to that point. It says, you need to call our office. Okay. Because you're so popular (laughs) and, (laughs) and because, you know, your appointments are full of what they can, as far as they can go out online. So that sends the consumer a message that you aren't really delivering on what you promised, right? Okay. Um, we just finished a study where, you know, the the promise is you can schedule online, except for if we're full, right? Mm-hmm. But we don't tell the consumer that, or we don't put up there a, a pop-up that says, Dr. Williams is so popular <laughs> that um, you'll have to talk to somebody to see if we can fit you in or something like that. But at right. any rate. Um, you know, we do study that as well. Um, but here's the thing that I know beyond a shadow of a doubt. We do have a digital front door. That's very true. But when somebody does make the decision to call, they want a human being. Okay. They want a human being and they want somebody who's polite and caring, empathetic, considerate of their time. You know, uh, so those are all still in very, very important attributes. Okay. Now, you did share this research with me ahead of time. And so I had a chance to look at it. You've got some interesting findings from looking at what's going on with these first calls um, pre and post COVID. So, share with us, what did you learn? What stood out to you uh, in mm-hmm. looking at it from that way? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I I was tempted to just kind of lump all of the data in from, let's say, um, 2019 through current. Okay. Um, but then I thought, gosh, I'd be missing an opportunity to really see, has anything changed? Right. And so that was one of the areas of focus for us is to look at, okay, we had pre-COVID, now we've got post-COVID. Um, what, if any, attitudes or beliefs or expectations have changed since then? Um, one of the most startling things was in, in 2016, when we did the last report, 35% of all first-time callers said they are not likely to recommend they're not likely to return as a real patient. 35%. If you went to M&M Mars, you went to Ritz-Carlton, you went to any Apple, any big brand, what would they tell you if you said, well, 35% of the people who actually are interested enough to call you aren't going to call back. They'd say, that's terrible. I'm firing our director yeah. of marketing. You know, what's, what's the problem? But, you know, marketing is one thing. Operations is another. Operations is where you deliver on the promise, okay. right? 
And so it's important to really have a good feel about that. So one of the things that stood out to me the most was I thought 35% was abysmal. Right. Okay. Now, post COVID, we've gone to 38%. Oh, oh my goodness. 38% of first time callers are not likely to return to become your patient. Mm -hmm. I I find that just just absolutely mind boggling. Mm -hmm. Um, And the thing about it is, is that when the person makes a decision, you know, okay, I'm not going to do online, I'm going to call, you know, you have that opportunity in your hands. Mm to embrace that call to, but a lot of our mystery shoppers will say things like, um, she just wanted to get rid of me as quickly as she could. Mm -hmm. She said this, and it implied that she didn't want to talk to me, (laughs) or she was very short with me, or um, she said, we don't have anything available for three months and hung up. Um, So it's, it's startling to me that when we're looking at, you know, here we are in 2023, um, we're still dealing with people, you know, with, you know, less than ideal phone skills, or maybe the leadership is measuring the wrong thing, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And I'll share a story with you. This, this, this still stands out in my mind. We had mystery shopped a large system so we were calling all of their practice or their call centers and their switchboard and so on. And um, they had the worst scores still to this day that I've ever seen. Mm. And um, I went and met with the manager and I said, so tell me when you're training your staff on, on the phones, what is the number one goal? you set forth for them. And she said, oh, that's easy to get rid of them in 15 seconds or less. And I said, well, congratulations. You have met that goal. Now let's talk about about what happens when that's the only goal, right? We're not looking at patient satisfaction or caller. They're not Mm -hmm. your patients. They're probably never going to become your patients. Right. But the feedback we got was, you know, it it was like a hot potato transfer, you know. Right. If you mentioned, let's say somebody calls and says, well, I had a dermatology appointment. Hold, please. And they'd send you to dermatology before (laughs) you heard what the person had to say. And it was just crazy. So in that situation, it was really a matter of, look, you know, what gets measured gets done. And when you tell them the only important thing is 15 seconds, you got it. You got it. So let's work on the experience. Right. Let me give you a scenario and tell me, because you've done so much research in this. So there are a couple of things that can go wrong. Let's say, you know, I've got a fever, feeling crummy. I call in a couple of different things happen. One the phone rings and it rings and it rings and it rings and nobody ever picks it up. Another one is it rings and they, I know you know this from your research and I'm guessing all of our listeners have heard this. They pick it up and say, hello. And they say the name of the business, uh, be right back to you and then put you on hold. So they give you a warm body. They, it's a human being talk to you for two seconds. Um, 
but then you're in the you know the Jeopardy music playing and the, the waiting the waiting game begins, and then a third one where there's a a, a phone tree that it's kind of uh, I don't know if it's uh, AI, but it it tells you we have complete overload of calls right now. Is it okay? And they tell the computer tells you we will call you back at the first opening. So I gave you those three scenarios. In your research, which of those three works the best for, for a, I'll call it a consumer, whether it's a patient or a consumer, wherever they're calling into, because I've been in all three of those where you never get through or it just says, just leave us a message, you know, and you might hear yeah. from them on Tuesday, you know, and you're calling on Friday, uh, but you need medicine now. Um, or uh, the quick hello and then put you down or the um, we will beep you. We'll call you back the first opening we have. What do you have research on that? I know that was a lot of information I share, but I'm, I'm, I'm a long yeah. suffering consumer. Well, I'm going to I'm going to kind of dissect that out. OK, um, first, the hang ups or the no answers, I should right. say, when we do our mystery shopping, um, you're not allowed to call it a no answer unless you've tried at least three times. Okay. So if we're doing a number of calls and I say, you know, Dan, we had 30 that were never answered. That's not 30 attempts. That's 90 attempts, Ooh. but 30 oh, dead ends. Oh, right? no. Okay. So okay. that is always a major dissatisfier. You know, it, you know, and the thing is, is I always tell my clients, if you publish a phone number, consider it fair game to be mystery shopped. And you should be looking at what happens when you dial those numbers, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, so the second thing you mentioned is the phone tree. We have found that phone trees are not necessarily big dissatisfiers. Okay. If they're clear, if they don't send somebody into a loop, you know, but that there I say to to all of our clients, test, test and test some more yes. because there's nothing more infuriating than for this, press nine, for this, press two, you know, and you go through the whole recording, you press what you want and then maybe you get another one and then you press right. what you want. And then when you're to the third set, it brings you back to the original recording and you want to just, yes, right? You do, you really do. So <laughs> if they're well done, it's it's a matter of managing consumer expectations. You know, you're inviting them to take another step, another step, but don't get them so far and then say, "Thanks for playing, but you're going to have to wait a year, right?" <laughs> right. To answer the phone, um, you know, it's always being you know think about. We can't always jump through, you know, jump to their immediate need right now. Mm -hmm. But we can manage expectations. And so I liked what you were saying about, you know, you are third in queue. You know, mm -hmm. right. if you would like us to call you back, please press one and then enter your phone number. Right. Okay. To me, that's that's good. And to mm -hmm. most of the, the people we test this on, they're fine with that as right. long as you follow through. But don't tell me you're going to call me back and three days later... You know, our mystery shopper is documenting that no call was ever made, right? Right. So it's you want to be be honest and and follow through. You know, many of our organizations promise 
quality, efficiency, mm-hmm. you know, compassion, integrity. Integrity is doing what you're saying you're going to do, yeah. right? That's so it. if you say, I'll call you back, call back. Mm-hmm. So you wouldn't believe how many times we find that they don't. But um, so did I answer your question on you all did. different scenarios? I, I gave okay. you so many, I confused myself, but I believe you did. <laughs> <laughs> I've just, I've been so frustrated by some of those, but I do, as you were saying, I really do like the one, even though you might not like to hear that you're the 13th person in the line and we predict it's 22 minutes. I mean, they're giving you some specific data. And then if it comes on a minute later and it says now you're 11th then you're, you know, 12 minutes away. I mean, at least you're making progress or at least you know where you stand rather than, I I really don't Mm -hmm. like being put on hold. And then um, it's just music playing forever and ever and ever. It's just so frustrating in that case because you just, you just don't know. You keep wondering, okay, at the a quarter after, I'm hanging up. And you get to a quarter after and you go, well, I've just waited this long. Do I not just wait five more minutes? You know, you don't want to hang <laughs> now up. Now I've got but... skin in the game. I know. They <laughs> don't want to give up. Yeah. <laughs> but you asked me about some other changes between pre-COVID and post-COVID. And some of the most alarming things um, were... Well, what's not alarming is consistently before and after COVID, empathy, compassion, friendliness, um, being considerate of somebody's time, those are all weighted very important, very strongly correlated with whether or not they would recommend or return as a patient. Those are all very highly correlated both before and after. However, um, empathy percentages dropped from 91% to 85%. So less perception of empathy since COVID. Um, The other one is, are you sincerely in, do they feel you're sincerely interested in the patient's needs or the caller's needs? That dropped from 88% to 70. So that interest in the caller, right? Right. Um, And the warmth of the closing dropped from 95 to 84%. And some of those things, again, you know, you had asked me earlier about staffing. You know, right, do you think this right. has to do with staffing? I absolutely do. Mm-hmm. I think it has to do not only with the number of people in the practice right now, it's right. the turnover. It's the turnover, um, yeah. So yeah. you have a new person trying their best, answering the phone, but they only know what they know. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and and they they may be the most pleasant person on earth. But if, you know, 12 lines are ringing simultaneously, they may not be suited to handle that. And medical practices are notorious for having people having to multitask. Right. right. Especially the smaller practice where you've got somebody at the front desk who is not only answering the phone, but they're checking people in, they're checking people out. They're trying to schedule, um, you know, it, it, it can be a big burden. You know, who are they serving? The one standing in front of me or the one on the phone? Right. Well, I, I experienced this at a restaurant recently, about a week or two ago, went out to eat and uh, the uh, waiter, right when we sat down, said, hey, this is my second day here. And went, sure, we understand. 
And then my wife and I proceeded to keep asking questions that were kind of off the menu, you know, well, can we substitute this for this and that for that? And we, every time we would do that, they'd say, let me go ask. And they would go into the back, be gone. And I felt bad for the person because they were learning on the job. A lot of this gets back to what we're talking about with those front desk people. One, they're shorthanded. Two, there's, as you were saying, there's so much turnover. So then you're wondering, is, is there the proper training? And a lot right. of times there may not be because they're just having to fill that spot. Even if you put a human being in there answering the phones who's untrained, it perhaps is better than no person picking up the phone at all, uh, as we were talking about. So um, it's a quandary right now, and I'm not sure. Let's get to some solutions then. Obviously, we can't solve the staffing issues in healthcare because that's one for another day, and uh, uh, I don't know how to do that. But how do you, let's deal with the cards we've been dealt. So let's say we're short staffed. Let's say um, there is a lot of turnover. If you're a practice, leader is listening to you right now, what would you tell them then, given all these factors, how do they do it where you can raise those scores and you start not losing, uh, what is it, 40% almost of your- Yeah, 38%. First, 38%. So how do you- how do you? Well, part of it is training. Okay. Training, okay. So, so you've got to ask, a leader always has to ask, do they know what to do? Do they know how to do it? Right? And then lastly is attitudinal. Do they want to do it? You, you, you want to make sure they understand the bigger why, right? Okay. But do they know what to do? That's the training and, and the coaching um, and the how is in training mm -hmm. and coaching. Uh, but somebody at Starbucks, before they pour their first cup of coffee, has 40 hours of training. Wow. In healthcare, I'm willing to bet outside of the formal, this is, you know, this is the stuff we have to cover with for safety and, you know, the different codes and so on and so forth. They're not getting 40 hours of training, you know, in their area. Um, and so you think about somebody that is doing scheduling, let's say you know, how many people are they scheduling for? How many specialties are they scheduling for? So you have to think about how we have distributed the work. Does it still make sense? Are we still doing what we've always done um, and expecting different results? So I think there's always room for innovation. If COVID taught us anything, it's that, mm -hmm. you know, crisis is wonderful fodder for innovation. Really you know, is. we had to innovate really quickly. So I would just encourage every leader to ask, how is the work done? And does it still make sense? Right? Mm -hmm. um, is there opportunity to consolidate more into call centers? Um, more and more organizations are trying to, you know, get all of the, the phone answering scheduling stuff into one number or one centralized area, there can be great advantages. However, I want to point out that one of the things that we found pre-COVID, the call centers outperformed the individual practices. Mm -hmm. However, post-COVID, because of turnover, the call centers did not outperform um, okay. because call centers, you know, 
had even an, a higher level of turnover um, across the country than the medical practices. Okay. So there's no quick, easy solution to this. But I think, you know, it's again, look at how the work is done. Does it still make sense? Um, manage caller expectations. If you can't answer their call, can you tap into technology to say you are third in line or you are right. third to or we estimate your hold time to be two minutes? You know, give them information. You know, historically, patients are not going to grade you down on wait time as much as they are on lack of information about uh, wait time. Okay. I mean, so we've been talking about this for years, you know, get out into that waiting room and say, you know, Mr. Williams, I know your appointment was for one, you know, the doctor had an emergency, we're running about 15 minutes late. How are you doing with that? Would you be able to stay? Otherwise, I can reschedule you. But but people still don't do that one thing and manage expectations. Mm -hmm. You know, same thing goes with the phone. Um, we've got to manage expectations. Okay. For a final question, then we've covered a lot of material here. Wanted to see if you could just give us some final thoughts. Maybe they're sharing first steps, anything along those lines. And then if you do have any uh, resources you want to point people to, please do so. So what, what would you share with people here before we sign off? I would say you can't um, move into a treatment unless you do an accurate diagnosis and you're not going to get an accurate diagnosis without some assessment. So don't guess at mm -hmm. what happens on the phones, whether it's it's working with a company like mine or doing your own you know, pulse checks and calling the practice to find out what happens when I ask about an appointment. What happens when I ask how long it would be to get in with Dr. Williams? You know, mm -hmm. what would what is happening today? Um, have you tested all the phone numbers? So you've got to know what's going on first, right? So that'd yeah. be number one. So do the assessment so you can make an accurate diagnosis of where your weak spots are, right? Mm -hmm. Make sure everybody knows what's within their purview. You know, there are practices where quadruple scheduling is the norm. There are wow. others where the providers say, uh-uh, don't even double schedule me, you know, and then don't book any new patients if there's a full moon that lands on a Thursday <laughs> while Mercury <laughs> is in retrograde. I mean, there's all these exceptions. <laughs> right. And we're expecting miracles. So um, take all of that into consideration and then make sure that you managers sit down and listen. Listen mm -hmm. how your people are doing on the phone. Um, you know, that's part of our training for you'll have them in a, at hello is to train the managers. How do you do quality assurance? Mm -hmm. um, you know, when we're training the front line on doing better on the phones, that's one thing. But the manager needs to be able to listen and to be able to give feedback. Okay. Well, Chris, I want to thank you so much again for joining us. Um, I did want to let everybody know uh, you have been selected as a speaker at our leaders conference in the fall in Nashville. And I want to have you back on if you're willing to hop on another call with me before that show so we can talk about uh, your session there as well. 
Yeah, we would love to. Yes, okay. that would be great. Thank you. That sounds great. Well, that is going to do it for this episode of MGMA's Insights Podcast. Thanks again to Chris Baird, President and CEO of Baird Group. Again, in our episode show notes, I will provide a direct link to the white paper we've discussed on the power of the first call. Thanks again for listening and for being a part of the MGMA Podcast Network. If you like the work we're doing, please consider becoming an MGMA member. Learn more at mgma.com slash membership.